Hello listeners. I want to address my absence before proceeding with this episode of the show. Since the last story, I haven't posted another podcast since May 30th, and that primarily has to do with the events I will be speaking about in this episode. While editing and after releasing the Nova Scotia shooting story, I began to hear about a movement occurring in the United States, which was sparked by one terrifying event. I have been trying to piece all of what has happened, what the response has been, and how best I can present this in a podcast format. I want to do my best to pay respects to the lives that were lost, which sparked the Black Lives Matter movement. Ahmaud Aubrey, Brianna Taylor, and of course, George Floyd. So, I hope to do my best to speak about this topic. I know I'm not perfect. And so in this episode, I will be speaking about the topic of the Black Lives Matter movement. Hi, I'm Kevin, and you are listening to the only podcast hosted by me. And this is A Mention with Kevin. We have to start the story on May 25th, 2020. Even though the story of systemic racism in America and the world is much older. That was the day of George Floyd's death, an unarmed black man after an interaction with police. His death has brought racial injustice concerns in the United States to a boiling point. The 46-year-old man died after being arrested by police outside a store in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and ignited this Black Lives Matter movement of 2020. His arrest was captured on cell phone video, showing a white officer kneeling on Floyd's neck for several minutes while he was pinned to the ground. Derek Chauvin, 44 years old, the white police officer kneeling on Floyd's neck in the video, was charged with second-degree murder, up from third-degree murder, and manslaughter. The whole ordeal started over the most small infraction, with what was believed to be a counterfeit $20 bill. On May 25th, George Floyd visited Cup Foods grocery store in Minneapolis to buy a pack of cigarettes. A store employee believed the bill he used to be counterfeit and reported it to the police. In a call to 911, the employee told the operator that he had asked Floyd for the cigarettes back, but he doesn't want to do that. An official transcript reads. The employee also claimed Floyd was awfully drunk and not in control of himself. Floyd was near the store, sitting in a car with two other people, when the police arrived. The officers involved were responding to a report of forgery in the process, according to a police department account. Once at the store, they found a man fitting the suspect's description, Floyd, sitting in a car. The police department said a physical altercation between the officers and Floyd unfolded after Floyd got out of the car. When the officers approached the car, one of them, Thomas Lane, began speaking with Floyd, according to a statement from the prosecutors. He pulled his gun out and pointed at Floyd's open window and directed Mr. Floyd to show his hands. It reads, 
there's no reason stated to why the officer brandished his weapon. The prosecutors say Lane put the weapon away once Floyd put his hands on the steering wheel, but put his hands on Mr. Floyd and pulled him out of the car when he ordered him to step out. George Floyd then actively resisted being handcuffed, the statement reads. When the officers tried to bring Floyd into the cruiser, he stiffened up, fell to the ground, and told the officers he was claustrophobic. The report also states. Chauvin arrived on the scene shortly after to help the officers in getting Floyd into the police cruiser. The report said Chauvin pulled Floyd out of the vehicle, causing him to fall to the ground. He laid on the ground, face down, and still in handcuffs. That's when onlookers began to record cell phone video. The cell phone video taken by the witness does not show what precipitated the confrontation. The first image in the video shows Floyd lying beside the rear wheel of a vehicle. An officer is on top of him, pinning him on the cement by pressing a knee into his neck. Please, 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 I can't breathe. Floyd can be heard begging while on the ground. My stomach hurts, my neck hurts, please, please. I can't breathe. Little did we know that those words would be used to define this movement. The arrest was filmed by multiple people and shared widely on social media, going viral. In the video, bystanders can be heard yelling at the police to let him get up. After several minutes, Floyd gradually becomes quiet and doesn't move. The prosecutor's report indicates Chauvin held his knee on Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. Floyd was taken to a hospital by ambulance, where he died in a short time later. Police have said Floyd did not have a weapon, nor any weapons were involved in the incident. So who was George Floyd? George Floyd was a father who moved to Minnesota for a better life and work according to his family. He had two daughters, the youngest of whom is six. Floyd worked security at a restaurant, but like millions of Americans had been out of work since the coronavirus pandemic shut down much of the state's service industry. The restaurant's owner told local media that he was close friend to many of his coworkers. A friend that was always available to work, always helps, always helped with cleaning up, we loved him a lot, said the owner of Conga Latin Bistro. He had good customer service. His family described him as a gentle giant, though did acknowledge that his life had its ups and downs. In 2007, he was charged with armed robbery in a home invasion in Houston. And in 2009, he was sentenced to five years in prison as part of a plea deal, according to court documents. His move to Minnesota was part of his path forward for betterment, his family said. The video of Floyd's arrest led to widespread rage across the country, sparking protests around the world. The officer, Derek Chauvin, has been fired and charged with third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter, and the three officers who accompanied him have also been charged. But the breaking point had already occurred. Demonstrations against anti-racist rhetoric from police have sprung up in every major city. Tens of thousands of demonstrators marched in Washington, D.C., demanding an end to racism and brutality by U.S. law enforcement. 
The protest in the United States Capitol was shaping up as the largest of the marches seen in the weeks following Floyd's death in cities and smaller towns nationwide, as well as in countries around the world. In New York City, a large crowd of protesters crossed the Brooklyn Bridge into Lower Manhattan, marching up a deserted Broadway, where many of the shops were boarded up according to social media posts. Thousands of others gathered in Harlem near the northwest corner of Central Park to march downtown, about a hundred blocks to the city's Washington Square Park. In Seattle, police used flashbang devices and pepper spray to disperse a crowd of protesters. The mayhem in the city's Capitol Hill neighborhood followed a large peaceful demonstration earlier in the day with medical workers demonstrating against racism and police brutality. It also came a day after Mayor Jenny Durkin and Police Chief Carmen Best imposed a 30-day moratorium on the department's use of one kind of tear gas. In California, the country's most populous state, demonstrations occurred in many cities, including Los Angeles and San Francisco, where protesters briefly blocked traffic on the Golden Gate Bridge as motorists honk in solidarity. Hundreds of demonstrators who marched past the George Washington University Hospital chanted, hands up, don't shoot. We march for hope, not for hate, and I can't breathe. The movement has even spread internationally and has impacted the city where I live, Toronto. Thousands protested in two separate protests in Toronto against racism. The first protest began at Nathan Phillips Square, while the second began at Trinity Bellwoods Park. At Nathan Phillips Square, demonstrators chanted, held plate cards and posters, and listened to speakers. Then the protesters marched to the U.S. Consulate and onward to Young and Dundas Square. I can't breathe, the crowd chanted at one point at Nathan Phillips Square, in a reference to some of Floyd's last words before his death on May 25th. People held up signs that read, no justice, no peace. And yes, it is here too, Ford. This was in reference to Ontario Premier Doug Ford's comments that Canada doesn't have systematic, deep roots of racism as the US. Canada does have a hidden story with systematic racism that can be observed from the residential schools for Aboriginal communities and segregated black communities in the Maritimes, both of which are shameful institutions of the past of our nation. Ultimately, the Black Lives Matter movement has called to defund the police, a slogan with varying interpretations, from police abolition to divestment from police and prisons to reinvestment in social services and communities of color. As someone who is the son of an immigrant from a different ethnicity, I have dealt with my share of racism. I have observed the way that my ancestral culture has been eroded and chipped at by others in the majority of this country so that I assimilate. Though reflecting on it now, I could see the elements of whitewashing. And I could say this made my adolescence very difficult in trying to find my own identity. I don't think some individuals did it consciously. I think bad habits and ideals from families taught them how to act like this. I will still remember the less vulgar names being called in high school, as I don't want this podcast to get too explicit. Beaner or Mexican. Which wouldn't be offensive if I was part Mexican, but I'm not. 
Latin American countries are distinctly different from each other and present their own identities. I do love this country, but the thing that I love so much about Canada is our diversity. That so many people of different backgrounds can come together and live in harmony, build communities together, relationships, and rise above discriminating on each other for our differences, which we should be ultimately celebrating. It's probably why I fell in love with Toronto and I'm not so fond of smaller towns. This culture of unity lives there. I hope that eventually that same culture and thinking will spread to more rural and less dense areas in Canada. Things are changing though, in Canada and around the world. And I think this movement has encouraged the rate at which this change is occurring. Younger generations are seeing the pain and suffering that not dealing with these injustices has caused and have stood up in larger numbers to protest this. I do have to say in no way can I ultimately understand the systematic racism that is felt by the black community. I've never been profiled for my physical appearance by police. I've never been treated with disrespect because of the color of my skin. I also do not live in a country that enslaved my people through institutions for centuries, though my country has done this to the indigenous communities. And I don't know what it's like to have recent accounts and historical knowledge of your ancestors being enslaved. Though I do have to preference that my ancestors came from Peru and had indigenous identity. It is also not known that during that time in the 16th century, until the liberation of Peru in 1821, indigenous people were slaves that were used to mine gold, silver, and make textiles for Spanish conquistadors and colonials. Social injustice needs to end. Systematic racism should be terminated throughout the world, and we need to fix this now. This isn't an issue that we can continue to sweep under the rug. It's costing innocent lives. The pandemic that is going on of COVID-19 might be the focus on most of our minds right now. We see the death toll, we see the numbers rising. But racism is just as deadly of a disease that needs to be eradicated to save lives also. I wanted to end on a note that is not mine, that I think is required for us, and what we should do in reaction. The protests represent a genuine and legitimate frustration over a decades-long failure to reform police practices and the broader criminal justice system. We should condemn the few who resort to violence, not the overwhelming majority who deserve our respect and support. The point of protest is to raise public awareness, to put a spotlight on injustice, and to make the powers that be uncomfortable. But eventually, we have to translate those aspirations into specific laws and institutional practices. To do that, we have to know which level of government have the biggest impact. Changing the federal government is important, but the elected officials who matter most in reforming police departments and the criminal justice system work at the state level and local levels. So if we want to bring about real change, the choice is in between protest and politics, we have to do both. We have to mobilize to raise awareness and we have to organize and cast our ballots to make sure that we elect candidates who will act on reform. 
The more specific we can make demands for criminal justice and police reform, the harder it will be for elected officials to just offer lip service to the cause and then fall back into business as usual once protests have gone away. And this was said by the former President of the United States, Barack Obama. I truly think that now is a time for action, especially for the events that are occurring in the world today. Especially with the Black Lives Matter movement, I don't think that this is a movement that anyone can stand idle by. You're either for it or against it. I truly believe that during these times, especially with this social injustice, that we need to take action and take the appropriate action. I have left a link in the description of this podcast for Barack Obama's Anguish and Action program. There you can support the Black Lives Matter movement in many ways, if that be through financial help or through organizing protests. There I think there's truly some extremely valuable resources. I also think this is one of the best places you can find all the resources you need to help with this movement and to really see that help be effective. So I highly recommend that you, the listener, take the opportunity and check this link out and see what you can do yourselves. I'd like to thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. With being a subject so important as this, I'd really like to hear your feedback. If you have an experience or a response you'd like to share to the Black Lives Matter movement, please send me a tweet at Kevin underscore Hobie. Again, I'd like to encourage you guys to support the Black Lives Matter movement with the link that I provided in the description below. And I will see you on the next episode. Good night.